Worship services. What do you do in a worship service? How do you do a worship service? Probably in uh, church life, over the last 25 years, this has been a subject of great controversy. Do you sing hymns? Do you sing choruses? Do you use an organ? Do you use guitars? Do you use drums? Do you use a piano? Does he wear a bow tie? Does he wear a Hawaiian shirt? What is the proper way to do worship? And it really is an extremely, extremely important question to understand what worship, the worship services are all about. We're in 1 Corinthians 14 tonight. It is a long chapter. Since I've been pastoring, I've preached out of 1 Corinthians 12 over the last 25 or 30 years quite a bit. I've preached out of 1 Corinthians 13 a lot. I've preached out of 1 Corinthians 15 quite a bit. I've never touched this chapter. It's long. It's confusing. But hopefully tonight I'll, I'll be able to bring it together for you and me because it has some very important things to say about what happens when God's people come together for what we call the worship service. Now, before we jump into chapter 14, I want us to look just for a minute at something chapter 13 says, and that's this, that we should never forget loving other people is number one. Chapters, chapters 12 through 14 of 1 Corinthians really form a single unit. They're talking about spiritual gifts. And in chapter 12, it begins, and it talks about gifts, and they're having problems with the usage of gifts in Corinth. And then chapter 14 picks that back up where we're going to be tonight, talking about what a worship service should be about, what it should be like. But in the middle of that, he throws in this wonderful chapter on love. Look at the first three verses of this chapter. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love... I'm only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. They're having problems, controversies about speaking in tongues. It's still a controversial thing today. Speaking in tongues may be good, but if you don't love other people, it's just noise. By the way, speaking in plain English or whatever your language may be, without love is just noise. Look in verse 2 and 3. These are so powerful. If I had the gift of prophecy and I could phantom all mysteries and all knowledge, if, if I could preach and then if I could understand everything about everything, if I had faith that could move mountains but have not love, I am a zero. You get that? And then in verse 3, he continues his same thought. If I give all I possess to the poor... And I surrender my body to the flames. That's the picture of a person becoming a missionary and going to a foreign land and being tied to the stake by the natives and burned alive. And he says, if you do all that, but you don't love other people, you gain nothing. Do you kind of grab the importance there, what he's saying? Really pretty neat that was cushioned or couched in between these sections on spiritual gifts. Talked about tongues last week, this Sunday morning, about miracles and healings and how we enjoy those things. And they're great things and they're wonderful things. God says, never forget the most important thing after loving God is loving people, not the exercise of your gifts. And the exercise of your gifts minus love, it makes you a zero, not a hero. Okay? Now, let's jump into 14 because it is a great chapter. And it'll probably take us an hour and a half to two hours tonight to work through it. But I know none of you have anything to do tomorrow. And I work here, so it's no problem for me to, to uh, be here late tonight. In a service, what is a service about? A service, listen, a worship service is to honor God and to facilitate life change. 
okay? Real, 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 real important. People argue, preachers argue, theologians argue, what should a church service be about? And I'm telling you, there's a lot of opinions and a lot of opinionated people out there who will be glad to tell you and me what it should be about. A church service, what we're doing tonight, when we get together to exercise our gifts as a corporate body, two primary things need to happen. God needs to be smiling at what happens, and lives need to be changed. That's the goal of a worship service. Let's look up this first thing, lifting up Jesus Christ. Okay, that ought to be a no-brainer, shouldn't it? How many of you have been in a church that didn't lift up Jesus very well? How many of you have ever, ever think that, that you, you've been a part of a service or a series of services or events where God was probably going, Oh, my goodness, I wish they'd changed their name. <laughs> doesn't, it doesn't happen automatically, does it? You see, when we come together, we need to make Jesus Christ look good, don't we? You ever thought about that? We need to make him proud. When we leave here, it'll be close to seven, don't panic. When we leave here tonight, you know what? God ought to be smiling, shouldn't he? And going, you know what? I'm proud of what happened at First Baptist tonight. And this is about the heart more than it is anything else, isn't it? There was a, a, a four-year-old sitting with his grandmother in church, a small country church. And, and you know, I, I listened to three solos today here at our church. They were all wonderful. I have pastored little churches where all solos were not wonderful from a technical. You know what I'm talking about, Reggie? From a technical American idol. You, you follow me? I'm trying to be real politically correct when I say here. But they came from the heart. And this... this, this uh, boy sitting with his grandmother in this small church and this man gets up to sing and it's just boy I mean the dogs are covering their ears crawling under it's not good and the little boy you know little kids man they're simple they're direct they're literal tugs on grandmama's dress and says he doesn't sing well and she said and she knew the man and she knew he was sincere and he loved God and she said honey he's singing from the heart and that honors God a few days later, Grandmama and little boy are driving down the road singing a song on the radio, and the little boy stops, and he listens to Grandmama a little bit, and he says, Grandmama, you're singing from the heart, aren't you? <laughs> but you know what? Is Pavarotti still alive? Nobody, Reggie, you know who Pavarotti is. Is he still alive? We could have Pavarotti come in here, you know what? I don't know anything about, he's a great singer, for those of you who aren't as cultured as I am. Uh, <laughs> And that's really not good. Uh, the most beautiful voice that could, that could break lights out of, of the, the ceiling. But if the heart's wrong, it doesn't honor God. Now, I'm not saying that I need to get up and sing a solo because my heart's right. I don't. But I, I can honor God right where I'm sitting by singing and praising Jesus Christ. You see, we honor God in our service, not as much on our flash and our... Uh, our cash and all that, we honor God when our hearts are right and we're trying to honor God, okay? That's the first thing. It's not hard to honor God. 
It's about sincerity and a desire to please Him, okay? Now, here's the second thing. A service not only is to honor God, it's to benefit the body of Christ, the, the group, and the individual. A service, see, some people might argue and say, oh, the service is just to bring glory to God. Always chain yourself to the Bible because the Bible doesn't say the service is just simply a one-hour praise time. A service is to honor God and to benefit the, ch- the church as a whole and to in- benefit the individual. Let me tell you, God is most honored if somebody came down here tonight and got saved or if some Christian came back to God and said, you know, I've not been where I should be and I'm coming back to God 110%. You know what? That's what gets the loudest cheers in heaven. Okay, so a service is to honor God, and it's to benefit the body and the individual. Verses 1 through 5 of chapter 14, it says, Follow the way of love, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouraging, and comforting. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like that every one of you to speak in tongues. Now, we know right there Paul was not Baptist, was he? Thank you, Greg. But I would rather have you prophesy. Prophesy. Who, he who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may be edified. The word prophecy normally in the New Testament is the idea of preaching or proclaiming the truth of God. But it also has a broader meaning of speaking or proclaiming truth. So he's not saying, I desire all of you to be preachers, God forbid. He's saying, I desire, I want you, I, I, I want you to proclaim God's message, his clear and simple truths. I want you to articulate those well. In fact, doing that is more important than speaking in tongues unless there's an interpreter. Now remember, last Sunday night, we talked about tongues biblically in a couple of ways. One, it was the ability to speak in a language, a known language that you didn't know. You, you meet someone who speaks Mandarin Chinese. You don't know Mandarin Chinese. You witness to them in Mandarin Chinese. That'd be a miracle, correct? It would. Young people don't try that on a test this fall. Ask God to give you the gift of tongues before your Spanish test. That, uh, my guess is it won't work. God never, he always favors the teachers in those things is what I what I found out. Tongues is also praying in a private prayer language. Uh, maybe we don't understand that, but the Bible does talk about that. And tongues in Corinth, too, was, for lack of a better term, it was people speaking in a, in a heavenly, ecstatic language that was not a known language. And it was causing a lot of confusion in the services. It was, it was causing controversy. It made the speaker look good versus benefiting the body. And God says, listen, I, if, if somebody can interpret the message, fine. But I want, the, I want the clear truths of God proclaimed. That's more important. That's what will benefit the body and the individual the most. Folks, John Stott is a, is a, a well-known theologian and preacher. And I think he's on to something when he said this. He said, what's going to build the church up the best is the teaching of plain truth. The, the, the explanation of the truth of God over and over and over and over and over again. Why do we need tithing sermons two or three times a year? Because you don't get it the first time, correct? Right? 
I've tried that before. They've got it. We're doing great. And about a year later, you know what? I go, whew, we need to hit them hard for about eight weeks in a row. Whittle the congregation down to about 20 people, and then we'll stop. So, but the teaching of truth is what builds the body. Now, verse 3 is some interesting words here. In verse 3, he says, but everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening. The word strengthening there means it's like an architect designing and building a building. What should happen in the church service through the singing, through the teaching and the preaching, the encouraging and the praying is the, is the intentional building up of the church body and of the individuals. He says for strengthening and encouraging. To encourage or exhort are the ideas here. And encourage, you think of a positive building people up. Now, exhort has a little different meaning. I had a man in one of my churches who was very sincere, but he was sincerely off base sometimes. And he said, exhorting, that's loud preaching. That's what exhorting is. It's loud preaching. And the truth is, that's not the truth. To exhort somebody means you come alongside them and you can encourage them, but you can also be scolding them. It's to come along and, and you're going, come on, you, you can do this. Or come, you, you come alongside them and say, you need to quit doing this. Parents exhort a lot, hopefully. It, it, it's not necessarily loud. It's just direct, clear, confrontational, positive or negative. And in a church service, we need to be strengthening one another, strengthening our body as a whole, encouraging and exhorting one another. And he says after that, to comfort one another. And and the idea of comfort here, it's the same biblical word, cousin word, for the word used for Holy Spirit, paraclete. It means to come alongside someone. You see, a service shouldn't be a cold and distant place. A service ought to be a place where you come in and through the preaching and the teaching and the music and the fellowship and the praying that that you feel like other people in God are coming alongside of you. This ought to happen in our youth services. This ought to happen to some extent in our Bible studies where you're strengthened, where you're challenged, and when you're encouraged. So clearly, one thing after we honor God is that, that a service is to make Christians better, okay? But it doesn't stop there. A worship service is also for lost people. Jump all the way down to verse 22 through 25 with me. These are a little confusing, so stay with me. Tongues then are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for believers, not unbelievers. Now, just stopping there, it sounds like that tongues would be something for lost people, and preaching, teaching would be for saved people. But look in verse 23 through 25. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, and some who do not understand are, are some who unbelievers come in, Will they not say you're out of your mind? Literally, the word there uh, is idiots. Will they not say you're idiots? But if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everyone is prophesying, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and he will be judged by all. And the seeker of his hearts will be laid bare. So he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Now, folks, this is very important. He says that a worship service just is not for the special sanctified saints. It's also for those who don't belong to the club yet. Now, guys, I want to tell you, I've had some weird conversations with people about this. 
And I hope tonight that I can drive this home enough to you that you will help me as we explain this to others. A church service isn't just for those who are already on the team. In fact, in Corinth, the cult worships, the only people who could come and participate were the ones who had already been initiated into the club. If Norman and I wanted to go to the cult on Monday night for a little worship in wine, they wouldn't let us in. Our wives would kill us anyway, but they wouldn't let us in because we were not part of the club and didn't know the handshake. And God says a church service isn't like that. A church service, yes, tongues, if a, if a person comes in and doesn't know the language of the people there, uh, someone may speak in a tongue and share the gospel. Maybe someone will speak an ecstatic language and it will be interpreted to the lost person. But he comes back and says this, the lost person's probably going to come in if you're speaking in tongues and think you're idiotos. Literally. And he says the lost person... If they come in and they hear the Word of God proclaimed in a way they can understand, song sung in a way they understand, hear the Word of God preached in a way they understand, it's a chance that they may be convicted of their sins and repent and come over to God's team. What's the purpose of a worship service? We need to be 100% right on this, guys. It's for the lost and the saved. I think that's great news. By the way, I want to tell you, churches that say that the service is for the saved and they're going to go out in the week and win all the lost and bring them in, you know how much that happens? About very, very little. About very, very, very little. It's a both and. And by the way, when you read, read verse 24 and 25 again with me, if the unbeliever or someone who does not understand, this can be a Christian, comes in while everybody is prophesying, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all. And the seeker of its hearts will be laid bare so he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really in this place. Folks, another purpose of the service, and this is for the lost and the saved, is sometimes you and I don't need to come in here and leave all chipper and smiley. Sometimes we need to be broken in two. That's not what you want to hear, is it? Now, hopefully, we can cure it before the service is over. That's the whole goal. But, but a church service is not always to come in and fill you up with giggle gas. Sometimes you need to repent. Amen? Sometimes we need to say, you know what? It's not just the lost guy who's been wrong. It's been me. I haven't been the husband, the wife, the, the young person, the Christian that I should be. And I'm not getting encouraged right now. I'm getting convicted. And that ought to happen in this hour too. You see, what a service is for, this is so crucial. It's to bring honor to God. It's to make this team we call First Baptist better. It's to encourage us, to strengthen us, to motivate us. Christian, it's also to get us to repent and see where we're missing God. And yes, it's for that lost man or woman to come in 
and understand what's being said, and so they will come and give their life to Christ. It's not one of those. It's all of the above. Are y'all with me? Man, it's, it'd be so much easier to be a holy huddle. That's not what God's called us to be. See, this isn't my opinion. This is what the Bible says. Okay? Now, here's something else he says that I think is going to be, I think you're going to completely agree with me on this. Clarity is essential if you're going to be effective. When we come together, if we're going to honor God and we're going to, and we're going to help you be better and we're going to help that lost family member or friend that comes in with you find Christ, we've got to be clear, don't we, in what we're doing. Verse 6 through 8 are, are good verses and funny verses. If a brother comes to you and speaks in tongues, what good will, will it be? I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction. Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds such as the flute or the harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? And in verse 8, again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready battle. Now, folks, in this day and age, they were very musical too, but also the trumpet or the bugle was extremely important for soldiers. This is a military society. They woke up to the sound of a certain bugle call. They went to sleep to the sound of a certain bugle call. They charged to a certain sound. They retreated. You do not want an entiatos on the trumpet or the bugle, Correct. You don't want him blowing charge when you need to, he needs to be blowing retreat, correct? Correct, Pastor. Correct. I don't want him blowing wake up at midnight. <laughs> and God says, listen, okay, you're going to speak in tongues, what he's telling them. You better have an interpreter. You better do it with order. You better do it with clarity. Better to stick with prophecy and be plain and clear. I know people in, in this church, I, I know and my wife one time went to a, a church in another state that was more Pentecostal in nature than us. And one thing that she said was she said, I was confused. I, you know, there was a lot of loud praying in tongues and things like that. And, and she wasn't critical of that. I'm not being critical of that. But the trumpet wasn't clear. The sound wasn't clear about what was expected and what one should do. In verse 9 through 17, he continues this, this theme. So it is with you unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue. How will anyone know what you're saying? You'll just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there's all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them was without meaning. If I don't grasp what is being said, I'm a foreigner to the speaker. Let's jump all the way over to verse, verse 16. If you're praising God with your spirit... How can one who finds himself among those who do not understand say amen to your thanksgiving since he does not know what you're saying? Now, those verses I skipped, it's basically the same thing. He's going through speaking a word that can be understood versus speaking in a tongue that may not be understood. And he tells them here, 2,000 years ago, how can you say amen? That's good. That's right. That's right on target. By the way, that's okay to do in church. Thank you. But how can you if you don't understand what's being said? If it's not clear. 
Speak with clarity is what he says. Verse 18 and 19, he continues this theme. I thank God, listen to this, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now, it's interesting that 10,000 words in the Greek is one word. And it literally means finite words. It would be in our language like him saying, I would rather you speak five words I can understand than a trillion, trillion words that I can't understand. In other words, he's telling them, you guys in Corinth, you're caught up in what's fancy. You're caught up in what's drawing attention to yourself. Okay, you're going to speak in tongues. Okay, you better be interpreted, better be clear. But I'd rather you speak five words plainly than a trillion, trillion words that may make you look good, that don't benefit anybody else. Because remember, we come to church to bring glory to God, to build up the body, and to build up the people here, and to benefit the people here. He continues in verse 20 and 21 with an interesting Old Testament reference. Brothers, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. And the law is written... Through men of strange tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. That's kind of a weird thing put right in the middle of that chapter. It's probably a combination from Isaiah chapter 28 and drawing from Deuteronomy chapter 28. In Isaiah 28, when the Jewish people were being overran by the Assyrians before it had happened, listen to this. God, in clear language, had told those people, you better repent, you better do right, you better repent, you better do right. They wouldn't do it. So he sent the Assyrians in. And they spoke in a language that the Jewish people did not understand. (laughs) Maybe God thought, maybe that'll get their attention when they're overtaken by these people that they don't even know what they're saying, but they're being pushed down in the ground. And God said, they didn't even get it then. Listen, he's saying... Don't seek, don't seek to speak, be spectacular. Speak, speak and seek to honor God and to benefit the body is what he's saying here. See, we've got to be clear in our messages. This is, a, this is a funny thing from Washington State. The Secretary of State in Washington, a guy named Sam Reed, decided that he wanted to reach out to the Chinese and the Korean in this state. A lot of Chinese and Korean in the state of Washington. So his messages to the taxpayers were translated into Chinese and Korean on the state's website. Unfortunately, some of the translations didn't communicate well. When Reed wrote about a statewide mandates to restore public trust, the version in Chinese read, Swampy weeds suggest whole state order recover open trust. Did you get that? Statewide mandates to restore public trust in Chinese it came out, swampy weed suggests the whole state order recover open trust. Problem with that? Clarity. When we come together, our goal is not spectacular. It's to honor God. It's to benefit one another, and it's to bring clarity. And here's the last thing he says. Order and spontaneity should be the norm. Now, that sounds contradictory, doesn't it? I'm not going to read this whole section. I'll just read you the last verse. In chapter 14, verse 33, For the God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace, as in all the congregations of the saints. 
freedom comes from discipline. What does that mean? It means when you study and you pray and you prepare, that's when you have the freedom to be spontaneous. I, I'm often asked, I've been asked by people many, many times, do we have, not in this, just this church, in every church I pastor, do we have freedom to, to break out of the order of worship? I've been asked if, if God gave you a sermon two minutes before you got up to preach that was different from the one you've been working on all week, would you preach it? And my answer is, I hope so. But I would question why God gave me a sermon on Monday morning and changed his mind on Sunday morning. Wouldn't you? I, not that he wouldn't or he couldn't. See, a lot of people think spontaneous means you just don't prepare. What this passage teaches is that the best worship services, the best Sunday school classes, the best Bible studies have a lot of preparation with a lot of freedom built into it. What would freedom look like in a worship service here? What does it look like anywhere? It it, it doesn't look like sloppiness or unpreparedness. In fact, it, it ought to be very well prepared, very well prayed over. But it means we give a lot of room for God to work. We've always said here, this may scare you to death, But if the invitation runs for two hours, we're cool with that. I don't really want to preach for an hour and a half, and I guarantee you you don't want to hear me preach for an hour and a half. I love music, but I don't want to stand and sing for two hours. But if God breaks loose and the invitation runs to 9 o'clock tonight, that'd be spontaneous and wonderful, wouldn't it? About six or seven times since I've been a pastor, I've seen that happen. I've seen services that were planned, were prayed over, were ordered, sought to honor God, sought to benefit people. And when God broke loose, you just let it happen. That's what he's talking about here. Order with spontaneity ought to be how you do church. You see, why is this important? It's important because besides prayer, the most important thing we do is when we come together. It's our biggest thing. It's where we influence the most people. And you as people in the church, how you understand what we're supposed to do is huge. Let's never forget, God says, that we are here to lift him up. We are here to make this church, this team stronger. And we're here to help you and me and everybody that comes in this place leave a little bit different, lost or saved. I want to ask you this evening, has God spoken to your heart? And if he has, will you respond to him? Maybe you've never given your life to Christ. Why don't you do that tonight? Maybe if you're not a member, you'd like to join. It's a great night to do that. Maybe you'd like to come to the altar and pray for your church or, or pray with a minister. Let's stand. And as God leads you, you respond to him this evening.